This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, quickly, before we get to Craig Morgan, want to thank our friends at Pizza Nova for dropping off lunch for the crew today. Just a reminder, folks, today is National Pizza Day. Celebrate with Pizza Nova. Make it a weekend filled with pizza. Make sure to score big with their pizza, chicken wings, wedges, and more to complete your game day feast. Don't wing it and order ahead. Taste the difference with Pizza Nova. Big weekend ahead for the Arizona Coyotes. As always, our man on the beat, Craig Morgan, beat writer at PHNX Sports, host of the Focus on PHNX Sports as well. Craig Morgan, how are you, sir, making headlines all morning long and yesterday night as well and all week long? How about you? Uh, just another day in NHL paradise, Jeff. How are you? Well, I'm I'm good. And listen, um, I always find it funny. Like during lockouts, for example, uh, I become like uh, a nickel and dime actuary. Like I got to I have to pretend that I know things about you know like pensions and how and how they work, etc. Um, like normally, you know, when I got into sports because I wanted to talk about sports on the ice. But when you cover a team like the Arizona Coyotes, I mean, you're dealing not just with what happens on the ice or behind the bench or in the boardroom. But you're dealing with local and state governments as well. Uh, I want to get to the are they staying or are they going question here eventually. But um, can you review for people what you went over the, this morning? And, and that is this parcel of land in northern Phoenix that the Arizona Coyotes are looking at right now. And then sort of the, the details or the, the, tra- the Hansel and Gretel trail that comes out of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my most recent reports are everybody knew that there was a, a meeting of the Arizona State Land Department coming up on February 8th. Yeah. And there is an agenda that is publicly available online that everyone can view. And the understanding was that in order for the the, the Coyotes discussion, you know, to be on on the agenda for that meeting, it had to be at, added within 24 hours. But for the locals who understand, well, maybe not understand, but have a better understanding of how Arizona politics work. There's always a way around that. Uh, and, and in this case, uh, the, the deal was discussed in executive session, which is not open to the public. Um, some of the details came out. I know Richard Rodier was tweeting about this uh, yesterday as well. Um, yes. They were originally interested, I've confirmed this, that they were interested in a 200-acre plot of land that went down to 100 acres. Um, but for various reasons, uh, Greg Wyshynski, I think, was the first report from ESPN that you know, there were associated costs that were higher than they expected for that larger parcel. So they pared it down to 100. Apparently, that's what was discussed mm-hmm. in executive session. I've been told that the meeting went well. In fact, I even had a government source tell me that this whole thing could be wrapped up within three months. Now, anybody that wants to approach that with skepticism, have at it, because there is there is plenty of skepticism warranted around anything yeah. associated with the Coyotes Arena deal at this point. We, we've just seen, like, like I'm one of those people. I've seen so many false starts. Like, I was at the in the courtroom when we were all first introduced to Redfield T-Bomb and became one of the more interesting <laughs> characters in this entire saga. So, like, I, I'm with you, Craig. Like, I, I understand that everything is grain of salt. Um, but the, the the one question that I that I do have is that term wrapped up. What does that mean? Because it could mean different things to different people. Like when you say this whole thing could be, or sorry, your source saying this whole thing could be wrapped up in in three months. What does wrapped up mean? That's simply the purchase of the the parcel of land. There's a whole lot that comes after that, obviously. But that would simply mean 
securing the land. And listen, I have had multiple local politicians tell me that, you know, I, I think people assume that because something's going to auction, oh, my God, there, there's going to be, you know, you, you imagine the auctioneer in a room and people raising cards, you know, 10 different people bidding on yeah. a piece of land. I've been told that by and large, when a parcel of state trust land becomes available, there is only one bidder. They become aware that someone's interested in the land and they figure out, oh, wait, you know, they, they go through the process to sell it. A lot of those proceeds go to education, which is a good thing. Um, but by and large, there is only one bidder. Could there be another bidder on this? Absolutely, because there, there is a process. You have to open it up. You have to post it for a, a set amount of time. And even that, I've been told, is somewhat up to the discretion of the land department, even though there are you know, stated mm-hmm. rules on how long it has to be up. But, again, going back to that point, often there's only one bidder. Most of the time, there's only one bidder. So we go on from here, Jeff. I can't believe I'm going to say this, comma, again, but here we go. Is this Alex Morello's last stand? I hate making definitive statements because I just end up looking like an idiot when it comes to the Coyotes. <laughs> we we all do, Craig. Craig, if you feel dumb, if you feel dumb in a situation like this, don't feel special, because we've all, we've all we've all put our hand in that. Che- we've all put our hand and tried to grab the cheese before out of the trap. Don't worry. Yeah, and that's the bigger thing here, Jeff. Like, and not just is this Alex Morello's last stand. When you look at every possible scenario, and I know you and Elliot talked about this on the podcast, whether it's mm. Alex Morello getting this deal done or finding a local buyer or, you know, the nuclear option of relocating to Salt Lake City, every one of those scenarios has so many variables and so many complications. If anyone is out there saying this is what's going to happen, I'm just going to flat out call that person a liar because they have no idea what's coming. There's just way too much Mm -hmm. up in the air, too many moving parts to even predict how this is going to play out. Um, You know, I have a a ton of respect for for Richard Rodier, and he is, you know, very plugged into a lot of issues around the NHL, um, and certainly this story as well. And when he, you know, responds to a tweet and says that Alex Morello in this situation, you know, there's there's what the NHL may be trying to do, and there's what Alex Morello wants to do. Uh, when Rodier says that Morello may have the upper hand, or maybe does have the upper hand in this situation, I pay attention. Do you agree with that? That in this situation right now, as it stands... Like, let's say that, you know, Gary Bettman needs to sort of, you know, stick handle. here. Like, I was comparing it on the podcast to that visual of Patrick Kane with like 100 pucks around him. And he sort of tried to deke through all of them. Like, I look at what, you know, the NHL has out, you know, in front of it. If it if they if they want to somehow do something with the Coyotes, uh, sell to a new ownership group, relocate to Salt Lake City. This is some very particular stick handling here. So when someone like Rodier says publicly... Morello has the upper hand. I listen. What did you make of that? Yeah, I had the same reaction. I, I, I in fact, I, I let the, the readers here know about Richard's tweets because you're right. Richard probably has better sources than both of us, Jed. Let's be honest about that. Um, and, and he has a very keen and fine-toothed understanding of, of the CBA and agreements and all that. So when, when you look at what he yeah. said, first of all, there's nothing that says you, you have to have an arena of a certain size or seating capacity. There's no, no rule against what the Coyotes are doing right now. Um, it, it, you, further to that, um, when you look at Mullet Arena right now, 
We knew they had to get it up to NHL standards before they could move in. So they did that by building the annex, by doing other things within the building. So the NHL itself signed off saying, yes, this building is up to NHL standards. So how can you then turn around and say, yeah, they can't play there anymore because it's not a suitable NHL arena? I don't know where the language is where you can argue that. Now, I think a lot of people will tell you, however they feel about Gary Bettman, They'll tell you that he's the smartest guy in the room, and he might have something up his sleeve. I don't know what sort of agreement he might have had with Alex Morello. Is there a proxy agreement that could allow them to get out of this? Is there something else? I just don't know. I don't have enough information to say whether the league can press this issue or not. But you're right. When Richard tweets something like this, you have to take notice because he has a lot of information and he has a lot of sources. You know, and, and as as one person um, that I was texting with the other day pointed out, he said, you know, the what you what you what you people are all missing, you know, what you guys are all missing here is you go back and look at that Ryan Smith, you know, uh, very public letter to the NHL, essentially, you know, asking them to open uh, the expansion, uh, open the expansion issue, and open the expansion process. Um, and nothing like that happens without the NHL's blessing. Like that was, yeah. we all know what that, we all, all understand what that was. Um, much like when Ryan Smith came on the podcast last year, like, I don't think he just was a cowboy about it and said, I'm going on this podcast. I'm going to shoot off what I want in an NHL team. You know, that was, you know, given Royal assent, I'm sure by someone in the NHL, Bill Daly, Gary Bettman. I don't know. Um, but I, this one person pointed out to me that, and this is something we have to be mindful of in this scenario. This is such a delicate situation where the NHL mm-hmm. cannot be seen to be doing anything hostile towards the Arizona Coyotes, this organization, this ownership group, or else they'll all end up in courts at the end of it, wherever this saga leads. This person said to me, it is not a coincidence that nowhere in this, you know, Ryan Smith open letter, is there a discussion about relocation? It's all about expand. We may talk about it, Craig, you and I can, you know, BS about it all we want, but nowhere in that very public and we suspect blessed letter by Ryan Smith, there's nothing in there about relocation. It's only expansion. This is such a delicate bit of stick handling here that it's... I, I, I'm not like, honestly, I'm with you. I don't know what the next turn for this story is going to be or how both the NHL and Alex Morello react to it. Essentially, what I'm saying, Craig, is this has got to be a really difficult onion to peel. This has got to be a really difficult story to, uh, to, to try to unravel and, and put in people and, and, and get to people who really only want to know one question. And that is, right. are they staying or are they going? Like when people ask you that, we'll end on this one. When people ask you, are they staying or are they going? How do you answer? I, I answer honestly, I don't know. And the, the, the problem with it, and I think social media has augmented this, everybody wants to view the world in black and white. Well, it, it's almost never black and white. It's always nuanced. Um, yeah. and, and there's a whole lot of nuance to this story. You mentioned Ryan Smith and, and the release. Of course, there was that clause saying we have immediate availability with this arena, and you, you talk about getting it blessed by the, the NHL. Well, we have to wonder about that very clause in that release, what that meant, if that was a shot across the bow. Yeah. Um, and then further to the idea that everyone has to proceed very carefully here, you know, the, the, there's this idea, I know Frank Saravelli reported that 
the Ishbia group is not pursuing the Coyotes. Well, look at the wording of that even, not pursuing them. Of course they're not, because they're not for sale. Would the Ishbia group be interested in having a conversation if they became for sale? Yeah, I think they absolutely would. In fact, I've, I've checked. I think they absolutely would. But you can't say that. You can't, you can't proceed that way. The NHL wouldn't be, give you the blessing, first of all. And I doubt yeah. local groups, local business would, would want to say that. You don't want to meddle in somebody else's business. That's bad optics. That's just bad ethics. So keep all of that in mind mm-hmm. when, when you're trying to navigate this minefield of information. <sighs> the tricky story continues. Uh, we'll see what this weekend brings. Do you have any sense? I got about 60 seconds. Do you have a sense of what the next shoe to drop is? Well, I, I think everybody's waiting to see what the league's going to say after the Super Bowl. I think all of us are expecting something coming from the league. I just don't know what the yeah. nature of that's going to be. So very intrigued by that. Okay. Well, stay tuned. Craig, thanks as always for stopping by. Great that, great that you're on the beat. Uh, thanks so much for this and, and uh, sharing your expertise. Thank you so much. Jeff, thanks for having me as always. There you go. Have a great weekend. Craig Morgan, uh, who's very much on the uh, Arizona Coyotes story as, I mean, the greatest soap opera of this generation as far as her franchises go. And who would have thought that we were when we were in that courtroom so many years ago in Glendale that we'd still be here February 9th, 2024, talking about the Arizona Coyotes and are they moving? Time now for a line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. What do you have on your mind for Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow? Uh, it's the Oilers and the Kings. The puck line is Oilers minus one and a half. Edmonton seven, one and two in their last 10 against the Kings, and they've won four straight against those Kings. The over has hit in three of the last four between these two teams. What do you think the difference is between these two teams here? Like, I look at the Los Angeles Kings, and I always say, this is a team that should be better than we've seen. Certainly during that, you know, what did they lose? Like, 14 of 16. Like, there should be a really, there, there should be a, a better team here. Do you see, like, one made, like, if they met again in the playoffs, what might the difference be here? Well, I mean, it would it, it would be so chalk just to say, oh, well, one team has Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. I'll just go one step further. I yeah. think that one team is really confident in their goaltending right now, and the other one isn't. And that was not the case three uh, months ago. Yep, there is there is that. And the other thing that I would throw back is, I think from the Los Angeles point of view, yeah, they don't have the two nuclear missiles in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but what they do have is they have some really good forward depth. And I think that that's what... I, I think you saw that in the Vegas game yeah. uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. And I think that if you're Edmonton now... You know, as much as you may want one more right shot defenseman, I know everyone's going crazy about, you know, the idea of someone like Sean Walker. Um, I think that they're probably looking at one more forward at least. And they're looking, you know, using that game against Vegas and saying, okay, what do they have that we still need? And I still see the Los Angeles Kings as having that. And that's what Edmonton still needs to take that next step. Nonetheless, what a streak by Edmonton. Yep. We'll see you tonight. They'll face off against the Anaheim Ducks and then tomorrow against the Los Angeles Kings. Trey points Maddie. Uh, that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Bill Guerin is going to stop by in hour two, but before him, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network. Tour around NHL issues on the ice, off the ice, all of it with Rupper across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Merrick Show back in a moment.
everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The program, just talking with Craig Morgan there about the Arizona Coyotes situation. I love when teams do this. So the Arizona Coyotes, normally whenever there's, you know, team information, they'll put it out. A lot of it is substantial contract extension for players, uh, for managers, for coaches, etc. If you've listened to me long enough, you know some of my favorite people in the game are scouts. Uh, Arizona Coyotes putting this one out moments ago. The Arizona Coyotes signed director of pro scouting Alan Heppel to contract extension. Uh, Give that man his flowers. And whenever you look at the Stanley Cup championship won by the Colorado Avalanche a couple of years ago, Alan Heppel was a big part of putting that team together. So I love it, always love it when scouts get their flowers and scouts get their due. So good on the Arizona Coyotes for putting out that release. And congratulations to Alan Heppel uh, for getting a contract extension. These people all are salt of the earth, and I've said it before, the backbone of the industry uh, that we all enjoy. Uh, okay, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Bill Guerin will stop by, general manager of the Minnesota Wild. They have a big game tonight. They're playing the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, and it is Mark andre Fleury night uh, in Minnesota. I know he doesn't want the celebration. I get it. They're doing it anyway. And also the uh, the general manager for, uh, for Team USA, both for the Four Nations face-off and also the Olympics uh, in Italy in a couple of years. Meanwhile, Mike Rupp joins me now uh, from the NHL Network, and there's a couple of things Rupper on the ice that I want to get into with you and a few things off the ice and a few things going back to your history as a hockey player, even before you joined the NHL. And here's what I'm curious about with you. What were you most fanatical about? You know, now it is, you know, skates and, you know, the different profiles that players have. Uh, Connor Bedard was on the panel with Elliot and Ron McLean uh, on the over the weekend during the All Star weekend, and you know talking about you know the P ninety P ninety two that he was using and having conversations with Nathan McKinnon about it, the Sackett curve, etc. What were you most fanatical about when it came to your equipment? What's up, Jeff? Uh, yeah, so it's I'll tell you what I was not fanatical about ever in my career. And you can probably tell anybody who's seen my stick will understand that I wasn't very picky with my stick. Uh, I had actually a very straight stick my entire career. Um, Very straight. And it was good for me and what I needed to do on the ice. It limited you in some other areas. But, um, you know, quick little story on that. When I was, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and there was really only one hockey shop in town. And that was, you know, Dan Fritchie's father, uh, and, and the Fritchie oh, no family, way. yeah, the Fritchie family was a very, um, it was a very popular hockey family in Cleveland and they owned is it was, it was Fritchie sporting goods. So I'd go in there and once I got to the point huh. where I got my growth spurt is probably as a 15 year old, 14 year old, there was no sticks long enough for me. And that was at a time, you know, when you're talking in 95, 94, you know, you couldn't, it, yeah. it, things weren't as accessible as they are now. Right. So anyways, I would look in there and I started that the way I started using a straight stick is they had an Eric Lindros Titan as a lefty and it was just yeah. the tallest stick they yeah. had there. And it was like kind of a pretty, you know, at that time, a straighter curve. I ended up making it straighter later on, but anyways, uh-huh. um, 
it was funny. I ended up getting a, a Gretzky two-piece with the Easton. Remember when he made the the Easton like silver? Of course. Uh, yeah. Yes. So those aluminum sticks, and I would take the knob, and it wasn't long enough, and I just pulled the knob out a little bit more, a little bit more. When I kept growing, a little bit more, and I by the end, my knob was like huh. wiggly inside there and i don't know how i played with it but anyways oh, yeah. that's what i was not particular about i was particular <laughs> about uh tape on the shin pads very particular um same tape really? job on my shin pads from a kid and if i taped it up and i stood up and it just didn't feel perfect i sit back down and retape my shin pads again so that, that was something i was pretty fanatical about Okay, hang on. I got to drill down on this. Were you a, uh, a, a a one strip around the shin pads? Were you two? Did you join the two? What was your style of shin pad tape? So this is a great question because um, so I usually would go. I I would I would do one continuous. So I'd go right around the top, right underneath the kneecap. I would go right there, right knee. Yeah. This is the part where I'd be very tricky on. Is you can't go. I like it snug. I don't want it moving, not wiggling at all. But I can't go too tight, or it cuts off your circulation. It just feels funny, right? But I go around there. But I yeah. would never cross in the front of my sock to go down to the bottom, like by the ankle. I'd cross in the back, uh-huh. um, and then I'd, I'd tape it down there. But the problem was, is you know, I got my start in the NHL and even in the minors in the American League in New Jersey, and Lou had a rule that you weren't even allowed to use clear tape, <laughs> no cloth tape. We wore red, or we had red, we see it a lot more now, but back then you didn't see it too much. We yeah. had red plastic tape for your red socks, white plastic tape for your white socks, yeah. and you weren't allowed to have one continuous, you weren't allowed to cover the stripes on the socks. So you'd have to go, I had to break it up then, and I just had to do one strip around the top, one strip around the bottom, and I threw my mind in a pickle for a while, but I got used to it. <laughs> okay, this is okay. I'm gonna let me. I'm, I'm wow, this is some fertile ground here, rubber. Okay, so I was having a conversation with uh, Kimberly Weiss. So Kim Weiss is a is an assistant coach with Trinity College, and she's part of the Colorado Avalanche mentorship program with with Jared Bednar. Like she's gonna be like, trust me, she's gonna be a big deal in, in coaching. She already is. She's got a lot of a lot of videos that, that are out there that uh, that people can see. Real real smart. And one of the things that I communicate with her every now and then, and one of the things that we are discussing. Discussing, this is going like back three or four months is why do the Chicago Blackhawks, even though they use clear tape in practice, use white tape for their shin pads during games? And I'll be honest with you, Rupper, since she pointed that out, I can't stop seeing it. Now, there are some players yeah. individually who do that. She pointed out Nylander, Pasternak, or a couple that do it. Um, but now I can't stop seeing that with the Chicago Blackhawks. And here's the other thing. I mean, you know me, Rupper. Like, I'm a geek for stuff like this. So this becomes a white whale. So I need to figure out where this came from. What is it? I can't find one person in Chicago who will tell me. Like, there's not, like, Bob Verde is their, is their uh, Chicago Blackhawks historian. Um, there's a lot of the, the writers uh, around Chicago that I've asked, people within the organization. No one has an answer other than, well, we've always just done it this way. Yeah. But I can't I mean, find, it, and it's driving me crazy, you know me. I can't find the origin story for this one. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it, it could be a lot of times just what's available, right? Like, that's what's put out. And uh, I even... Yeah. You know, guys have been particular. I mean, I was I was particular with the brand of tape, even a stick tape or even plastic tape to go around your socks. Like I wouldn't use just any other brand. So, you know, there'd be um, yeah, it's it, because sometimes, especially with the plastic tape, 
you have your way of doing it and you do it quick, right? Like we just, we've yeah. done it a million times getting our gear on and I'll do it real quick, but, and I'm pulling the same tightness as usual, but sometimes the, the elastic, the elasticity, how do you say that word? Elasticity? Am I saying that right? Elasticity. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, elasticity. Uh, I'll just say that the elastic nature <laughs> of the tape sometimes is way too stretchy <laughs> and it makes my, and that's what, yep. so you'd pull it and you'd be like, man, that's way too tight. I'd stand up and I'd sit down and I'd take it off again. So I just have to use a, a certain brand and, and stick with that. But a lot of times, you know, I know in New Jersey, you weren't allowed to use clear, same thing. You weren't allowed to use clear. You weren't allowed to use black or white tape. It was always the sock color tape is the only option. Uh, I could ask you about shin pads, over the tongue, under the tongue, all of this, but uh, we've got a lot of hockey issues uh, to talk about uh, today. And I, I, but I, listen, I find stuff like this fascinating. And uh, that loose story, A, doesn't surprise me, but B, does fascinate me. That no tape could break, could break the stripe on the sock. That is such a Lou Lamarillo story. I'm sure I'm fascinated that he wasn't concerned with thread count on the socks as well. But that's for another day, um, Mr. Rupp. That is for another day. Um, okay, so a couple of things from around the NHL. We're going to see the Edmonton Oilers back in action tonight. They'll face off against the Anaheim Ducks. And I think for this one, when we looked at the calendar coming out of All Star, we all crossed our fingers and said, hopefully. This is for the record. Now, Vegas had other plans, uh, and that was a wonderful game. Edmonton played great, but, you know, Aiden Hill, you know, goalied them, to be, to be blunt. Uh, when you yeah. see the Edmonton Oilers play right now, like, what are the things that you as someone who played and now observes and analyzes the game, like, what do you see that you like, and maybe what do you see that the Oilers still need? Um, all right, so what I like is... And what, what also bothers me in the same note is the people out there that I, I don't know how closely they're watching Connor McDavid, but um, it bothers me when people say that he's one-dimensional. He's not one-dimensional. You watch him, especially mm-hmm. during that streak or this season. I mean, you could date it back. He has gotten stronger and stronger in his play away from the puck. His You watch him back check. Watch the back pressure that Connor McDavid provides. And if there's one player on that roster that doesn't, yeah. you know, you're not going to say anything to if he doesn't, it's him, right? Like, I'd, so some people might say, yeah. hey, conserve your energy for offense. But he is a junkyard dog in what he does. And I think that permeates throughout their lineup. I'm really impressed at the way that team competes on the back check. They allow their defensemen to be uber aggressive, stepping up at all parts in the neutral zone because they've got that pressure. They have that security blanket. So their D has certainly looked a lot better, and you got to give them a ton of credit and Paul Coffey a ton of credit working with them. But I think a lot of that's due to the commitment from the forwards and the commitment from the captain. And so that's that's the, the big thing for me. And I'm just tired of hearing people say, like, oh, it's the power play. It's Connor's points. When's he going to change his game? He has altered his game. And that streak mm-hmm. that they were on through the first even 12 games of that streak was a perfect example because it wasn't the Connor show. It wasn't. The, 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 I think through 13 or 14 of those games in that streak, the leading five-on-five five guys were Warren Fogle and uh, McLeod. And their power play was operating yeah. at 20%, which is good. But it's not the 30 35% where you see in Edmonton. You know what I mean? That Stuart Skinner was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They are a different team now than than uh, I think we've seen him over Connor's tenure there. 
Uh, I love it when I hear Erie Otters players protecting and defending other Erie Otters players from uh, from Mike Rupp to Connor McDavid. I just uh, I, I just love it. You know, I, I look at Edmonton and that streak was remarkable. And of course, you know, you're going to win some games you probably should have lost. And, you know, uh, like you look at the Vegas game, that was a game that Edmonton should have won and they end up losing because of, of Aiden Hill. But I look at the streak and I still say, this is a team that could still be better because one thing that we haven't seen click yet in any significant and sustained way is the combination of Leon Dreisaitl and Evander Kane. Like when Kane is on, Leon hasn't been. And when Leon is on, Evander Kane hasn't been. And you're just sort of waiting. Like when that moment arrives, then you're going to see, I think the Oilers at a whole other level. Like I think the Vegas game showed them that they need more depth up front. Uh, not to yeah. put too much in, into one game. Um, we all know they're looking for a right-hand shot on the blue line as well, the first-round pick and play, and we'll see about Philip Broberg. But, I mean, are, are those the two sort of obvious areas for you, for the Oilers? Yeah, I think so. Um, the thing you said with, with Leon is bang on, and Leon is Leon. Like, he's unbelievable. So uh, I will say the yeah. game against Vegas was, it was a tough one for him. It was one of the games, one of the only games – when I've watched this Oilers team where Leon didn't look like himself, he was a little off, but that, listen, that's going to happen coming out of breaks and you're going to have games like that. No yeah. matter how great you are, you're going to have games like that. But if him and Evander Kane, like, let's not, let's not forget. You remember, I don't know the numbers right in front of me, but I, I'm pretty sure as soon as Evander Kane got to Edmonton in the playoffs, didn't he have 12 goals in like 10 games, like or 12 and 11 or right 12 away. and 12. He right, was right away. Right away. Yeah. So like yeah. he has that ability to be an X factor because of all those things that have been intriguing about him. Power forward, mean. This guy, you know, he 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 plays with spunk and that's playoff time. You got to turn some momentum in a game, maybe with just a good four check and maybe it's a big hit or scoring a big goal, an ugly goal. Like Vander can do all those things. If him and Leon can find something together, uh, I think that'll take this team yeah. to a whole nother level. Um, you know, here's the one, the one thing though, and, and I don't know what that means as far as personnel come March 8th deadline, watching that game. And just like you said, I don't want to put too much into one game, but I was just having this conversation with someone earlier today and from where my vantage point is, and I'm not, I don't have boots on the ground in Vegas every day. Vegas is the most I'm quoting right now, professional team in the National Hockey League, the most prepared team in the NHL. And I hmm. see it all of the time. Does that mean that they're the favorite to win the cup? I mean, right now for me, yeah, they probably are still, but it, they have this business nature to them where it's not always pretty. It's not always dominant, but they pay attention in their details and their preparation and their in-game adjustments. Uh, that coaching staff needs a ton of credit and those players need a ton of credit because they execute it. And I thought that Edmonton game, like when, when Vegas decides in a game that you're not scoring again, you don't get chances. I think last night's game was a perfect example. Like, is there ever, is there ever a, I hate using the word trap game, but I don't know another way to explain it, but is there another that was yeah. game than last night, right? Like you break the streak, massive game in Vegas, Super Bowl week, everything's mm -hmm. going crazy, excitement, yada, yada. And now you got to go to Mullet Arena. Yeah. Okay. Like, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not sitting here picking on the Yotes. I love, I, that's a whole nother conversation. I love the Yotes. They, I, they need to get out of this at some point here. But like, you're going from that experience to Mullet Arena in front of however many fans that they're in there. 
against a team like I was expecting a drop off. This team came out and scored off the opening faceoff. I think they got what the second goal yeah. like a minute later, and they got a third goal, and I'd be like, they dominated. And then the last twelve minutes of the game, Arizona doesn't even get a shot on goal. Like they are, they. That's one thing. If I was to pick, and nit, this is nitpicking Edmonton, I don't know if Edmonton Edmonton can do that, and I don't know how Edmonton would be in a seven game series against that. That's my big concern for them. Yeah, do you, hang on. Let, let me. Let me. That's interesting, and I've uh, I've felt this way about Vegas too. And I I always look at them and say, you know, a lot of it is, you know, they have large defensemen who can defend. I mean, what was the yeah. story of Vegas? You know, winning the Stanley Cup last season. Like, listen, Barbashev was great. Eichel was great. Marcheseau won the Conn Smythe. He was fantastic. Aiden Hill was great. But the story to me, and I think a lot of people were the was the blue line. Like, they have oak trees that can move. You know, what is it, uh, Tom Watts' old line about what he wants his blue line to look like? It's, uh, he would say, uh, virile, agile, hostile, dancing bears. And, like, that's the Vegas blue line, right? Like, that's what, the, that's what, we're, that's what we're looking at here. And that's why I, I look at Edmonton. And, like, I know there's a lot of talk about, okay, uh, is Walker going to go from Philadelphia to, to Edmonton? And, you know, the, the one thing that we've seen in the NHL, and you've seen this for years, the defensemen that normally move at deadline are all big guys. Like, that's what, like, okay, we're going to the playoffs. We need size on the back end. I understand the value of moving the puck. We all do. But when trade deadline rolls around, if I'm Edmonton, as much as we're trying to, you know, marry Philadelphia and Edmonton by way of Walker here, I wonder if they might be just looking at, again, one game, but looking at Vegas and saying, maybe we need more size on the back end. Because those are the players that yeah, go I mean at deadline. A hundred percent. That's a great point because people know what it takes in the playoffs and, it, and it's a different game in the playoffs and every inch is harder to get. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even have to be a big physical guy. Just like that. That's why in, in years past, nope. like just having a long range, long reach where it's difficult for guys to get to the inside. And when you limit those things, now your goaltenders in an advantage because he's the shots are being predictable. Like he's not getting surprised with a guy camping out in front by himself. And, and here, here's my big thing. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate in my career to play with a lot of, lot of way smarter hockey players than me, a lot of way more talented hockey players than me. I love soaking up what they, what they had to say. And Scott Stevens, yeah. Scott Niedermeyer, Kenny Danico, Brian Rafalski, the details mm -hmm. of their game that probably came with, you tape your damn socks the right way. Now we can trust you with carrying out what we're doing on the ice. They did it on the ice. And, and when you're watching a game, if you want to know where your team's defensive details are, every shot that goes mm -hmm. to the net from the point, watch what the net front defensemen are doing. Are they boxing out? Are they lifting a stick? If they're not, I'd be concerned. You watch Vegas. Every time away from the play, they are not letting you grab the hold of that ice. They're, they're, they're standing there. They're not letting you get in. The, I think, yeah, sometimes it's going to happen. It's not back in the 80s where you can you can hold and do all those things. Yeah. But their details with lifting a stick. Like if you just – Scott Stevens and I worked with them at NHL Network. It was hilarious because we'd be mm. watching on NHL Tonight games, and I'd see this great play or what I think was a great play offensively. Oh, my gosh, look at this. Like, yeah, let's bring, up, let's bring up our mics. Let's jump in on this one. And then Scotty gets to it, and he goes <laughs> – Scotty's like – that is so preventable. All you have to do is lift a stick. 
And think about how many deflection goals and how important deflection goals are and how important it is to get to the net. Oh, yeah. If you have your defensemen just lifting sticks, that eliminates a ton. That eliminates a ton of offense. Just lift sticks up in the air. Get under their stick. Get it off the ice. Make sure that if they touch it, it's going to be a high stick. Like, that is such an underrated detail that those guys had that only some teams have, and I think Vegas is one of them. The, the, okay, let me let me let, let me take that one step further because I was having a conversation with someone about um, defensemen now. Because I mean, you remember, like when when you played, it was always like shots on the point got to be low for deflections, low for deflections. And this one person was making the whistle with it with it, with an NHL team who said we want shots on the point coming hip level because that's where we want our deflections now because we don't want those sticks lifted anymore. Oh, you know, I remember we were having a conversation, but it was about John Klingberg and about him shooting high. And this person said, well, you know, that's kind of an extreme. And there are some other defensemen that do that, that will shoot high and try to score. But this person said to me, we want shots from the point coming in hip level because, you know, you, you tip it at, at hip, hip level, no one's really expecting it, kind of like the high tip you see, the, the Sedin tip. But he said, more than not now, we're getting our guy, our defenseman to fire at waist level. Is that due to, as Scott Stevens was saying to you at NHL Network, it's easy to lift sticks. That takes away the defender's ability to lift sticks because the stick's already in the air. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Yeah, you 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 keep it kind of... You know, you're elusive, you're slippery with your stick. And and I think a lot of times yeah. we saw a couple of goals the last couple of nights where, you know, having those shots, when we see those great goals of the shot that's clearly going six feet wide that a player deflects back towards the net, Insane. that's not hard to do. Insane. Every <laughs> NHL player can do that. So the point being is, all right, fine. All right, you you got a big body. You're, you know, you're, you're a mean Alex Petrangelo. You're not letting me get my body there. Yeah. I'll stay to the outside, but our defensemen shoot the puck wide. Give us like, and, and not bombs. Don't tickle the rafters. Mm-hmm. Do a little old Scott Niedermeyer and just feather one in there. Because we see Pavelski doing this all the time, right? And he's probably the the, oh, yeah. the poster boy for net front. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if you take something off it and put it waist high, every single player in the National Hockey League will tip nine out of ten in practice. Just bump, bump, bump. Put it right they want it. it it's what it's easy. Right. So I think there's adjustments mm-hmm. being made there and you, you can't you, and that's is a forward. I can't get tied up. You know, if I can get to that position and grab a hold of that real estate in front of the goaltender, I'm OK if I get tied up then, because guess what? I'm in his eyesight. So is that yeah. defenseman now? And I don't need my stick. I'm going to serve a different purpose. But if you can't get there, you got to keep your stick free. And I think a lot of times we see some defensemen executing that waist high shot wide and tip it back towards the net. Yeah. I am always stunned, though. I'm glad you mentioned Joe Pavelski. I'll throw Anders Lee into that conversation. Previous um, Wayne Simmons was always great at it. How yeah. how guys get, like, I don't know, Rupper, like how guys get sticks on pucks there and seemingly everywhere. Like I remember being in Dallas last year and just watching Pavelski after practice at, you know, a million years of age, just staying out there to tip, 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 tip. It's just like, it's impressive, right? just has that habit. It's just sort of bur- burned into his DNA. Um, a couple of minutes left with you here. I, I wanted to have you on to talk about Mark on. Andre Fleury, and here we are, you know, 20 minutes in. Uh, big night for Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury yeah. night in uh, in in uh, in Minnesota. The Wild face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm not sure that Mark Andre Fleury wants this right now, but he's going to get it anyway. Um, 
What are your thoughts on, on Marc-Andre Fleury? Because I think a lot of the conversation right now revolves around, will he waive his no trade? Does he want to go? I mean, originally he didn't want to go to Chicago. Like, he's someone that likes to plant roots and stay. Hasn't always worked out that way, Pittsburgh, Vegas, etc. But where's Mike Rupp at with Marc-Andre Fleury right now? Um, I mean, one of the all-time great. He's my favorite, probably yep. my favorite teammate of all time, right? Like, so I, everybody says that, but I just want to make sure I stamp it with that too, because he's he's incredible. And, and um, you know, he, there was a lot of people when they played in Pittsburgh, when Minnesota was in Pittsburgh earlier this season, everybody was having a fit because they, yeah. this is the farewell tour and Flowers not playing. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I don't, you know, I, that doesn't mean anything to me as far as like, you know, Flowers played against the Pittsburgh Penguins a million times, right? And uh, so yeah, this is yep. nice that they have this. Again, like you said, he probably doesn't want it. He wants to keep his team or put his team even in a better position for the playoffs. I don't know what he does here. Yes. I know from speaking to him and people that are very close to him, he loves Minnesota in that room. Like that Every single person I talk to in Minnesota says that that locker room is very, very special. Like it's a, there's a culture there that's in place. They, they genuinely care and, and love one another in that room. And I know that's important to Flower. And I, I know mm-hmm. that when he first got there and was like experiencing this, he didn't want to play anywhere else but there. But here we are now. It's 2024, and trade deadline's coming up. I don't know where this what this looks like for the Wild. They got a good team. I don't think they're going to run it. I don't think they're going to do any damage in the playoffs. Is this Flowers last year? Does he plan on coming back another year? I think the trade deadline is going to give us mm. a glimpse in what his plans are. If he waves his no trade and goes somewhere, that tells me this is the last we're going to see a Mark Andre Fleury. If he does not, yeah, I have a feeling he'll he'll be back whether in Minnesota or somewhere else. But I, I think it probably more importantly, if he goes somewhere, everybody buckle up. So we're going to see some of the last games, I think, of one of the all-time great goaltenders in this league. It's a better league with Marc-Andre Fleury in it, no doubt. Yeah, one of my favorites, clearly one of yours. Uh, fun to watch on the ice, off the ice. Just a charming guy. You yeah. know, I know he's had his, his battles along the way. The one with Rutherford wasn't particularly pretty, but like at the end of all of it, it just sort of ends with a big that big smile. Like we'll think of all the great saves, yeah. you know, that Detroit save with the Stanley Cup, like all of it. But at the end of it, hey, oh, I think we'll all think Jeff, of Mark Andre Fleury, not just the performance, the smile too. Yeah, just a just a reminder too, and and I think it's encouraging for just people in life. Like you know, sport is there's a lot bigger things in life, right? And so, yep. But flower oh, yeah. gives you a gauge. Let's not forget. I mean, when we, you just mentioned his smile, that is what everybody will remember with Marc Andre Fleury, right? Like, it's his smile. Yeah. Like, his, he always looks happy. Let's, he has gone through some stuff in his career. You know, like, go back to the World Juniors. Oh, remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Like, that didn't start. Oh, his I'm, career I, didn't I, start off puppies and roses. Like, he, it yeah. was bad. And then yeah. he goes to Pittsburgh. That team I played against them, that was one of the worst teams I ever played against in Pittsburgh before they started getting all their guys and started going. And Flower comes mm. in there with the yellow pads, smile on his face, putting the work in. They win the Cup in 09. I signed with them in the summer of 09 and play with them the next two years. And then after that, you know, even in the, my second year, second round against Montreal, that's when, when Halak was incredible for Montreal and beat us in the second round. Yeah. Dominated them 
all yeah. series go seven games. Yar Halak and Mike Camilleri, everything he touched was gold. But we're getting into a game seven, yeah. and Flower let in like three goals in the first five minutes, and we were done. Like it was, and then there was those years. Remember the series against the Flyers? It's like this guy can't do it. He doesn't mentally have it. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He he he's too inconsistent. He's too this. Then he they get the 16, 17 cups where he's not starting. Then he goes for year one in Vegas, takes him to the final. Vegas mm-hmm. shocks me and makes the move, and, and they part ways. You know what I mean? Like it's he's gone through yeah. it, and he has been an absolute pleasure with every teammate he's been around. I think that's what you we all strive to be. And, and Flower, man, that that stuff I remember about him more than being second all time in wins. Amen to that, uh, and I'm glad you brought up. I, I loved hearing the Fritchie name again. I always thought that Dan Fritchie was going to, and it was, it was shoulder injuries that, that really hampered yeah. the career, but man, was that guy, was Dan Fritchie, let's end on this one, how good, from your point of view, as someone who played, I loved watching him. How good was Dan yeah. Fritchie? Dan Fritchie was great, I play, and I ended up playing with him briefly in, um, for the Blue Jackets, right? He was, I think, his second-round pick for the Jackets. Yeah. And, um, yes, he, he was, uh, yeah. Just couldn't stay healthy, you know. One of those stories, but man, he can he can play. And um, they had some loaded teams back there in in uh, in the OHL in, in London. And um, he, uh, yeah, I ran I, crazy thing. I was calling the Penguins game earlier this year, and I'm sitting there uh, in between periods, and all of a sudden I hear Rupper, and I turn around, and it's Fritch. Uh, I haven't seen him since. No. Oh my gosh, probably 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And I ran into him just he was it's in awesome. Pittsburgh, took his kids to the game. It was great catching up with him. Hockey's a great place, uh, and you're a great part of it. Uh, Rupper, always a pleasure, man. You enjoy your weekend uh, full of hockey, I'm sure, and we'll catch up down the road. Thanks so much for doing this, as always. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Anytime, buddy. The great Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, former uh, NHLer and Stanley Cup champion. We'll hit a break. Uh, We had a lot of talk about Minnesota there, so let's bring on their general manager after the break. Bill Guerin is the GM of the Minnesota Wild, also the GM of Team USA for the uh, Four Nations Faceoff and the Olympics in Italy as well. Dun, 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 dun. Expectation, gold for the U.S. Uh, it's Look, they're good. They're really good. Uh, we'll talk about Flower Night tonight, and we'll talk about uh, Team USA as well with Bill Guerin. Coming up in moments, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, big night for the uh, Minnesota Wild. Big night for Marc-Andre Fleury as the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins are in town to face off against the Minnesota Wild on Flower Night at the XL Energy Center. And it's been a big week for Bill Guerin, GM of the Minnesota Wild this week, uh, named the general manager for Team USA at both the uh, Four Nations face-off and also the Olympics in Italy. Bill Guerin joins me now. Bill, how are you today? Congratulations on the big news this week. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, buddy? Good to, good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to speak to you as well. And uh, but before before we, 
Oh yeah, by all means, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful nod. Um, before we talk about international hockey, uh, the Minnesota Wild. So I just had Mike Rupp on the show a couple of moments ago, and we were talking about your Wild, and he talked about the uh, the uh, the the Minnesota Wild dressing room, and he said, "Listen, it's it's my belief that that is a a tight knit group, a team, a, a group in the room that cares about each other, loves each other, etc. Um, a really good room to be in." Um, so let me ask the general manager, how is the Minnesota Wild room? No, well, it's fantastic. I mean, there's uh, there's no issues that I, that I know of. I mean, everything I hear from the players is positive. It's a positive feel around there. It's, uh, you know, I, I think our leadership group does a, a great job of bringing in the new guys, making them feel at home right away. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh but, you know, we, we, we really need to start having this good room and, and all this good feel to translate into more wins. Um, that, that's the idea behind having a tight-knit group and, and a good room is to get through the tough times and to, and to you know, kind of grind it out mm-hmm. together. So we're going to rely on that. Yeah, I, I get the uh, the analogy. Oh, uh, good guy in the room. Yeah, they don't flood the room. Yeah, we've we've all heard things like that before. But like, who are those players in that room that everybody you know leans on? Uh, I mean, obviously, when when Spurgeon's around more and healthy, he's he's one of the guys. Marcus Foligno for sure. Um, you know, Matt Zuccarello is uh, you know a, a a guy that that really steps up and, and speaks his mind. Um, there's just a lot, you know, everybody loves to follow flower. Uh, you know, he, he leads by example for sure. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of good leaders, uh, you know, even, even a kid like Brock Faber, he's got leadership tendencies and, um, you know, he's got a presence about him. So, uh, it is a really good group, you know, Joel Erickson Eck is, is, uh, is a great leader. He, he puts everything he's got on the ice every single night. You know, like I said, there, there are there are quite a few guys that uh, make up our core and make up our leadership group. And um, I I think they do a really good job. Um, I'm going to kind of go back and forth between the, uh, the, the, the two manager positions that you now have the, the Minnesota wild and, uh, and team USA as well. Um, who who would you have spoken to maybe before accepting this role? Like I'll, I'll just throw like a, a Team Canada example at you. Um, the Steve Eiserman Martin Saint Louis dynamic, you know, was one where you know Eiserman's a general manager of Tampa, but also had a Team Canada hat to wear and had to make decisions that you know hurt his relationship with one of his star players in Tampa. But in his mind, he was doing what was right for a team. Canada. How much of that is a concern for you? Have you talked to anybody about that? How to how to stick handle a situation like that? You, you know what i I actually love the way Steve handled that. It it's a you know what, and I know there's two sides to it. You know, uh, executive yeah. has to make the tough decision. Players disappointed with it, and and obviously, you know, you're 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 competitive, and you want to be on the team, and. But you know, as a as a general manager, as as an executive like that, you have to make tough decisions. Um, there there will be tough decisions down the road for me. I, I know that. I'll I'll lean heavily on a, a group of people that I uh, that I kind of choose to be on the staff and 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 respect and and want around me and need their opinions. But um, those are just 
yeah, you know what? It's a bit of a tight tightrope walk um, because you're dealing with one of your mm-hmm. NHL players. But look, at, we're all we're all big boys here, and you know what? We we've all you know we've all been dealt um, tough messages at, at certain point in times of our of our life and our career, and mm-hmm. we have to be professional. It's not personal. I think that's the one thing. Like as a player, you don't really. You can't really understand that until you're on the other side. Is that it has nothing sure. to do? It's just not a personal matter. It's all about the hockey. Um, do you think you'll watch games differently? I mean, you know, you you watch it as a Minnesota Wild general manager, and you watch it for okay, what does this mean for my NHL team? Do you think you'll watch games now and have maybe an expanded vision, greater perspective? I'm looking at this not just for the Minnesota Wild but also for the four nations and also for the Olympics. Yeah, without a doubt. But I I think the biggest thing is going to be that I'm probably going to be scouting players that won't be available to the Minnesota wild. Um, You know, the, the, the star studded cast that, that all the teams are looking at. A lot of these players are, are unavailable for trade. They're unavailable. Uh, They're they're just, they, they won't get to the free, the free market as well. So um, it's just more, it's really more people to watch because you're, you're going to put them on a specific team, but you won't be able to get them for your, you know, your day job. Yeah. The um, with Bill Guerin, general manager of the Minnesota Wild and uh, Team USA at the Four Nations and also the Olympics as well. You know, there was a there was a while there. I'll draw another Hockey Canada example, another Team Canada example for you. There was a while there where you know Team Canada was always selected with very specific positions in mind. This is what our first line does. This is what our second line does. Third and fourth, etc. And the team was selected based on who could do what we believe fourth lines are supposed to do. And then that changed for Sochi, uh, where it was just very much of the uh, philosophy that just get the, the the highest quality of player you can get because at that level, skill can adapt. Sure, you're a first-line winger on the Boston Bruins, but for this team, we need you to be a fourth-line winger. The idea that skill adapts is the one that sort of, you know, Team Canada has, has used for a number of years now. When you go into creating a roster internationally, What's your mindset? Are you thinking traditional first, second, third, fourth line, you know, first, second, third pair on the blue line, or are you just thinking we just need to get the best possible players and the talent will sort itself out? Yeah, I, I think the I think the character part of it is is huge when it comes to this because everybody's gonna have skill. Everybody's gonna have a high skill level, whether you wanna fit a certain role or, or not. We're, I mean, we're gonna be choosing from the, the best of the best. And to me, the most important thing is is the buy-in for that role, not the, you know, well, I'll start here and and you know I'll I'll do this and that, and next thing you know I'll be on the first line. We need the buy-in. We need you to do, we need you to do things that that you're not accustomed to doing. You know what? You might not play eighteen to twenty minutes a night. You might get twelve. Uh, we need you to accept that. Um, you might not be on the power play because every every guy in that team is going to be a power play guy on their NHL team. Um, but you need to accept that role and and understand that there's a, a different type of role for you on this team. So um, I, I'd like to think that we can take the best players and uh, and have them do that. Mm-hmm. 
You know, in, uh, in, in 1998, Nagano, um, Patrick Wall told Mark Crawford, uh, I'll play for Team Canada only if I get to play every single game, you know, much to Martin Verdura's chagrin. Uh, to your point about we need you, you know, we need players to do very specific things. Um, if if one of your goaltenders, one of the goaltenders that you wanted, Bill Guerin, said to you, I'll play for USA only if I play every single game, what's the response? You can have a nice break. <laughs> That's what I thought you'd say. Yeah. But there's just, you know what? It, it's a team. It's not about the individual. It's about the team, and it's about winning, and it's about mm-hmm. going there and, and putting our best foot forward. And you know what? Uh, you know what? All the international tournaments that I played in, I, I mean, I was a third, fourth-line guy or whatever. It's like That doesn't. You know what? I was playing behind Brett Hall and guys like that. It there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it doesn't have it doesn't have to be I want to win just as long as it's, you know, focused on me. We just want to win. Right. Uh what was your favorite you as a as a as a player? What was your favorite? I think I know the answer here. What was your favorite international tournament to play in? You know, I mean, obviously, the 96 World Cup was just, you know, yep. uh, lights out. Like, it, it really was. Um, it was a big step for, for USA Hockey. It was a big step beating Canada. Um, you know, monumental, really. So I, I'm very proud to be part of that uh, that that group. Um, but, you know, I just look at them so differently. You know, and that, that was so special. But then you, you talk about the Olympic Games. And then, you know, to be an Olympian, you're not, I mean, that, that's really special, you know. And, and I think being able to experience the Olympics and, and what they're all about and being in the village and seeing how hard everybody trains, no matter if they're in the NHL or they're an amateur in some other sport. And that's the beauty of it is that they just everybody works so hard just to get there and represent their country and some of them go there and they don't they know they're not going to medal uh but they do it anyways Mm -hmm. and and that's i think that's the beauty of it and then even going back like world juniors you know all those different terms that that you're exposed to it's just it's honestly it's a gift that that hockey just you know gave some of us and and it was just we're so fortunate to 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 have done it uh give us uh, as as much as you can um a snapshot of where you think u.s hockey is at right now like i think that the world juniors this year for example the u20 uh i think was uh was a message to the rest of the world you know that you know there have been moments and you mentioned 96 and i'll put the the, the quality of play of 96 right beside 1987, which a lot of Canadians will talk about as being the greatest hockey ever played. 96 was just as good. 96 was fantastic. But you look at the way that the American program, the U.S. program has developed and continues to develop, it is frightening what might happen here with the United States and frightening, I say, as a Canadian. Um, Give us a snapshot of where you think USA (laughs) hockey is right now. (laughs) Not not frightening for you. I mean, this is this is bonus. This is fantastic. Look at all these great American athletes we get to choose from. Um, But where where is USA hockey at right now? Like where where is American hockey at today? I I think we're at an all time high, and I think we're I think we're we're 
better than we ever have been skill wise, depth wise. Uh, the, 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 the player pool is, is amazing. We're getting kids from, you know, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Texas, California, Arizona, like it, Florida. We're getting kids from all yeah. over the country now, which never happened before. And I, I give USA Hockey a ton of credit um, for, for, for building the model that they have to really make the game popular. The NHL has done a great job in, in supporting that too. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's great to see it where it is. Um, you know, we just, we just have to keep moving forward and keep building and keep exposing the game to as many kids as we possibly can in as many markets and, um, you know, people of all different backgrounds and stuff. So it, it's really, it's really in a good place. I, I just, I just want to make sure we keep our foot on the gas pedal and, Hey, look, we've put ourselves in a good position where we can go into tournaments and expect to win, but we have to go in with that with that blue-collar mentality of, of hard work, character, and, and uh, you know, high compete. It's just not a, a skills competition. We've got we've to show our heart and soul out there and, and play hard for our country. Um, let me finish off, Bill, by, uh, by talking about, you know, Minnesota Wild, the game tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and so much of this, a celebration of, uh, of Marc-Andre Fleury. What, what's tonight going to be like for the organization? What's the night going to be like tonight for Marc-Andre Fleury? Well, I, I, can, I can tell you this. For the organization, it's, it's huge. Um, we've never had uh, a player like this walk through the doors um, and put on a, a Minnesota Wild jersey. He's you know, like everybody says, a bona fide Hall of Famer. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, he's earned it. Like, I mean, a 1,000 games, 552 wins. Just think about that. Like, there's only a few guys that have yeah. done it, and those guys are all great, like the greats. And and Flower yep. is one of them. And for our organization to be able to celebrate him tonight is, and our fans, it's, it's amazing. And for him, oh, man, you know what? Like, God, everybody, everybody knows this guy and just – how do you not love this guy? And how do you not just, how are you not just happy yeah. for him? It's just, it's just a great, he's a great story. I think because obviously because of the goaltender he is and the mark that he had on the game, but in the way in which he did it was such class and just humility. And he's just, he's just such a great guy. So everybody's happy for him. I love it. Should be wonderful. Uh, one of everybody's favorites. Like, I don't know how you, like, you have to be the most hardened, cynical, angry person <laughs> not to have, like, a part of you cheer for Marc Andre. If you, Fleury, if you don't like, love Marc Andre, Andre Fleury, what? that's on you. That's just something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, 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 what are you going to hate on next? Oxygen? Like, seriously, yeah, we're talking exactly. about Marc Andre yeah. Fleury here. Yeah, um, Bill, you be good. We're uh, we're we're out of time. Congratulations on the on the nod from USA Hockey. It looks great on you, and and good luck tonight and the rest of the way with the Minnesota Wild. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Always great to catch up. Thank you. There, there he is, Bill Guerin, the general manager of the uh, Minnesota Wild, also the general manager of uh, Team USA. Uh, Four Nations face-off, that is next year, replacing the All-Star game. You knew that. Uh, Canada, United States, Sweden, and Finland. And then as the NHLers return to the Olympics, uh, Bill Guerin and whomever he puts in his management staff uh, will be putting together the American team. And they have 
a lot of great, but we've all done it, right? We've all sort of made the fantasy team, certainly for Canada here in this country and stateside as well. It's scary. It really is. This is going to be a fantastic, I know we're a couple of years away here still, but this is going to be a fantastic tournament. And uh, the expectation for Canada has always been gold or bust. I think it's the same thing uh, for the United States as well. Uh, Mention that uh, tonight's matchups feature a big one for Marc-Andre Fleury as the Minnesota Wild face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, tune in, even if it's just briefly, just like if you don't have the time to watch the entire game, just tune in off the top for the celebration uh, of Marc-Andre Fleury. Pittsburgh Penguins facing off against the Minnesota Wild. This one uh, here at Sportsnet. You can watch it on Sportsnet East and Pacific starting at 8 o'clock Eastern. Very much looking forward to this one. A couple of points at stake here, folks. Don't forget, too, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, look to claw their way back inside the playoff picture. Uh, The New York Rangers face off against the Chicago Blackhawks. Listen, we all know what the Blackhawks are like without Connor Bedard, and that is goal-starved. They've scored 11 goals in their last 11 games. Times are tough for the Hawks. Uh, they'll face off and welcome to the United Center, the New York Rangers tonight. And then the uh, the nightcap game, the Edmonton Oilers taking on the Anaheim Ducks. This is the uh, first game after the 16-game winning streak came to an end. All right, on that, I want to thank all of our guests. You just heard from Bill Guerin, previous Mike Rupp. You also heard from Craig Morgan on the Arizona Coyotes situation. And we kicked off the show with Elliot Friedman, and thanks to everybody behind the glass as well. These are the people that do things right. That is Matt Marchese and David Siss. That is Lance Kennedy and James Wilson. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Mistakes were made by me consistently here on the program, so thanks for tolerating me for two hours a day in your ears and your eyeballs as well if you're watching on 360. Uh, Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. Your host, Ron McLean. The action gets underway at 6.30 Eastern with Hockey Central. Enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy the games tomorrow. Back at you on Monday. Have a great, great hockey weekend.